And welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, yes, indeed, it's our goal to make a difference each and every Saturday, and we do it in unique ways. So I welcome everyone um, across the nation, whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast today, and we have the benefit of having guests from both from both coasts uh but before I introduce our our guests, I want to say a good morning to delightful Delilah. Uh, nice, to, nice to have you here today, as always. And um, Delilah, before we start our show, I just want to say I'm very excited, um, anticipating in a couple of weeks that we're going to Wilmington, North Carolina for a very special event. And since you are so um, involved in the nuances of the planning. Would you mind just giving us a brief um, uh, recap of, of what's going to happen? Certainly. Yes, uh, there's a National Missing Persons Conference that's held annually. This is the 13th year. Um, it's sponsored by Q Center for Missing Persons in Wilmington, North Carolina. And every year we try to pull together um, speakers and class instructors that are you know, have relative topics to speak about and issues that would um, uh, be very relevant to the the audience, which is comprised of mostly family members of missing persons, law enforcement advocates, um, search and recovery teams. So there's a very wide variety of people who attend. And it's an open conference for anyone who is – interested in the issue, has an empathy for the issue, wants to become involved as a volunteer or, um, you know, just needs to be there. There's a, a, a very big need for people to volunteer for missing persons issues. And this year and we... And homicide survivors, right? And Yeah, exactly. And, and also, we also address unsolved homicides. So there's there's several that are registered with the organization, and um, we do have some class instruction that's going to address that this year. Um, we're going to address domestic violence and the evidentiary abuse affidavit. We're going to have a class on um, – I'm trying to think off the top of my head <laughs> – um, <laughs> uh, global human trafficking is one. We have a, a retired – FBI special agent who will speak. We actually have a human trafficking survivor, and now an, she is now an advocate for the issue. She will speak, um, and someone who represents homeless youth, which is a very, very wow. prevalent problem, especially in the missing persons arena. 
So it's it's always packed with a lot of information and a lot of food <laughs> and a lot of fun. Actually, we you know it's not it, it's a very serious issue and it's a very serious conference. However, um, we do make time to have a lot of fun, and that's important for the members uh, or you know the people who come and um, so that they have a safe place to be together with with people who are in the same situation they're in. So, you know, I encourage everyone uh, out there who's interested to go to ncmissingpersons.org and register and and be there March 16th through the 19th, 2016. 2017, right? 2017, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I don't know what year it is. I don't know what day it is. Well, you're, you're just, we're trying to keep each other on our toes, Delilah. All the time. Exactly. You know, and just want to mention, we also have a beautiful vigil uh, ceremony down by the river, correct? That's always part of the wonderful tribute in a memorial wall. It's just breathtaking. And um, awards and prizes, etc. So, um, Bill Thomas, does that sound like a wonderful con- uh, t- uh, conference or what? Well, it, it does, and it's actually something we've we've thought about. Um, it's funny; I was actually just looking at the uh, at Google Maps while we were talking about. I thought, what's the drive time from uh, where <laughs> most of our most of our families live to Wilmington? Um, it's about really not too far. Days. It's it's probably depending on where in Virginia you're coming from, about five or six hours drive time. Yeah. 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 We'd love to have all of you involved. Hint, hint, hint. Okay? So, (laughs) anyway, yes, thank you, uh, Delilah, for that great commercial. Um, And we're we're very serious. We want everyone to um, please, after the show finishes, to go and register because it's a one of a kind conference and it'll take your breath away and you'll meet all kinds of and make new friends, too. And it's, you know, it's a hub fest. It's another, that's a nickname for it. Anyway, so thank you, thank you, Delilah. Without further ado, to get on to our topic of today, this is kind of a part two, and sometimes because we have such an impactful topic, as we always do, and we've just passed our five-year anniversary, um, we, we just have so much information to convey. We need to do it in more than one show, and Bill was very gracious to um, volunteer again and also to bring some family members. This is regarding um, the Colonial Parkway murders that happened uh, now just over 30 years ago. And to my understanding, again, there are eight victims involved had, um, in, the, in the passage of time from 1986 to 1989. And we have a couple, actually three other guests, and the other guests are from Virginia where Bill is, based right now in California, we have Joyce Call Canada, um, uh, who, uh, the sister of Keith, Keith Call, who was a victim, and Jennifer and William Phelps, uh, sister-in-law of Anna Maria Phelps. Um, but before we have them come on and tell their stories, Bill, you, you are such a wonderful, um, articulate speaker. We would like you to perhaps give a brief thumbnail sketch of the overview of 
of our topic today, and then we can uh, talk in more depth with our other guests. So if you would kindly do so, we would love it. Oh, sure, absolutely. And thank you for First being all, on again. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank thank you and Delilah for, for having us uh, on the show, and um, my thanks to, to Joyce and, and William for uh, agreeing to do this. And, and I, I recognize for your listeners, we've got one guy named Bill and one guy named <laughs> William on the same yep. call, but it, it can be a, a little confusing. Let me really briefly recap the Colonial Parkway murders for the benefit um, of your listeners. When we're talking about the Colonial Parkway murders, we have uh, a situation that involves um, the loss of four uh, young young couples. Um, so these are double homicides that were committed in and around the Williamsburg area um, from 1986 to 1989. Uh, what you have are, are four uh, couples, one gay couple and then three straight couples that are apparently linked. There's actually nothing yet in the forensics that links the double homicides. It's more the basic circumstances. They're referred to as the Colonial Parkway murders because two of the cases occurred on the Colonial Parkway and two of the cases did not occur on the Colonial Parkway. Um, technically, um, although the, the, the case of Cassandra Haley and, and Keith Call, um, Joyce's brother, is technically still a missing persons case because although they've been gone for you know, more than 25 years now, their, their bodies were never found. But the assumption is, based, based on the circumstances, that they, they are also murder victims. So you've got this 1986 to 1989 time frame of young couples who go missing or are found murdered, um, and they have some loose association with um, uh, isolated rural locations, kind of lover's lane situations, although as William will, will explain, not necessarily, everybody's even not necessarily a couple. Um, they may just be traveling together. Um, but there, is, there's, there are certain patterns, isolated rural locations, Virginia, lover's lane situations, limited sign of struggle, no apparent sexual assault, no robbery. In many cases, uh, you have wallets that are, are, are still in the car. In some cases, the wallets are out almost as if someone's presenting a driver's license. So, so you get the sense that they may have been approached by what the FBI calls an authority figure, um, which could be a police officer or someone presenting as a police officer. It doesn't, they could be an imposter. Uh, but in many cases, there's money in wallets, so robbery is not a motive. Um, and a lot of times we say, we say four years, but when you actually look at a calendar, these four double homicides, the eight young people are all taken in. A, it's actually a three-year period from 1986 to 1989. Three of the cases happened in the fall in the same kind of six-week period from from Labor Day to about mid-October, kind of that back-to-school time frame, one of the cases occurred in the spring. Um, and two of the ca cases occurred on three-day holiday weekends. 
successful holiday weekends, which may be significant, it may not. Um, but I, I think that, that gives you the, the, the brief recap. And as I said, they're referred to as the Colonial Parkway murders, even though only two of the cases actually have any direct association with this beautiful road in Virginia called the Colonial Parkway. Right. Well, well, thank you. I, I think that gives us a good thumbnail sketch of that. And I was just thinking to myself as you were speaking that in terms of, and maybe our other guests can speculate on this, in terms of motive, I mean, it just sounds like a vicious, a vicious random killing. Um, I mean, really, I don't, I don't know. Um, but why don't we have um, either would Joyce Joyce call? Would you would you like to or excuse me, Joyce call Canada? Would you like to uh, speak first on behalf on behalf of your your brother Keith? Yes. Um, okay. Thank you, and thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. My our pleasure. Tell us a little bit about about your brother. Prior, prior to this horrific event, uh, give us a, a little bit of background, if you would. Well, he was a typical um, young man. He had uh, he had just turned 20 years old in March. He was in his first year of college. Um, he had uh, just broken up with his girlfriend. Well, they had they didn't really. They were taking some time apart. Um, of four years, they dated all through high school, and um, he—I don't—he was just a good kid. He, um, like I said, he had just started his first year of college. He worked part time. He liked uh, going to the beach and going to concerts and a lot of things that typical young people like to do. It, where where was he going to college at the time? He was going to uh, Christopher Newport College. It's now a university, but back then it was Christopher Newport College. Mm-hmm. And that's, what, that's where he met Cassandra at. They were in classes together. I I, I see. And um, what was what were the circumstances in which he and Cassandra maybe had like they were they were friends in college and they decided to um, hook up. For transportation purposes on that particular day? Well, from my understanding, they had just they had decided to go out together that night. Uh, they had not previously been dating or anything. They just knew each other from class. Mm-hmm. So they um, went to a movie, and then they stopped by a party right near the college. It was kind of like, from what I understand, an impromptu party like kids have back then. More like just a place where people hung out, and and uh, they popped by there after the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where they were for a couple of hours, and uh, and then they, you know, they were there, and people saw them leave, walk out of the door, but then after that, nobody's ever seen them again. Just wow. the car ended up on the Colonial Parkway, and we now- have never found them. That that's so mysterious. Did they did they each live in uh, dormitories there? Um, no. Or no. No, no. Um, Keith lived in Gloucester, which is probably about a forty minute drive to Christopher Newport, or where that college was. And Cassandra lived in York County, which is not far, uh, probably 
about 20 or 30 minutes from the college. So, no, they were both commuters. I see. And, well, what might you know about the interactions of, of what happened at that what happened at that party? Do you know any other details with regard to that? Well, what I've been told is they were both there. They they both knew different people there. And so they weren't really there as a couple. From what I understand, Keith was off talking to friends that he knew the whole time. And Cassandra found some of her friends, and she was there with them the whole time and uh, talking with them. And then they didn't really have much conversation together until they got ready to leave and Keith got ready to take her home. And uh, and then they left the party and, you know, the times kind of differentiate, differentiate between what different people, you know, said, but anywhere between, I think, <clears throat> one and two, they left. And um, people saw them walk out of the door, but from the but after that, they've never been seen again. Well, what were the um, circumstances in terms of how they the, 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 the was was the car found at all? The car was found on the Colonial Parkway. Yeah. The car was found on the Colonial Parkway, and it was excuse me, it was found with the door wide open, and some of their belongings were inside the car. Um, such as, like Bill was saying, wallet, I think one of Cassandra's shoes, um, some of their clothes, uh, Keith's eyeglasses. And um, I personally don't think that they were on the Colonial Parkway. Keith didn't frequent the Colonial Parkway in the middle of the night. And he was actually supposed to have told Cassandra's mom that they would he would be bringing her home by about 2. So there was no reason that they would be on the Colonial Parkway. The Colonial Parkway was up further from Cassandra's mm-hmm. house and out of the way. So this was sort of, the car was sort of planted there to, and the door open and all these things to make you think a certain scenario occurred when you have a theory that maybe the actual killings took place on a on a, on a side road or a back road. Is that right? Well, there's so many different theories and uh, out there, but that's one of my personal. I I don't think they were on the parkway at all. I think okay. the car was dropped there, and I don't know what happened to them in between. Uh, but obviously, something did because they've never been seen. It it's got to be an incredible. I mean, just to not have any answers whatsoever for all of these years. Tell me how. How you how you and your other family members have coped, or what, what what has helped you through this ordeal all these years? Well, today I guess it would just be time and acceptance. But at first, um, it was just horrible. It was a horrible experience all the way around, and it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, the not knowing and the the searching, and it was awful. And and a lot of it was just watching my my poor mom and dad too. I mean, that's really tormenting not to know where your your son is, you know, just to disappear off the face of the earth, and it really took a toll on them. Are they still living? No, no they're not. No. Oh dear. My dad so they... died um of a heart attack and my mother died of cancer. So they're not living. Oh 
they would be in their 70s now if they were. So, Yeah. So you feel that that really took a toll on their health and maybe contributed to a, a premature death perhaps? I, I think every one of us in the family believe that. Wow. Um, how How was it... Uh, how was it that you you got in contact with with Bill uh, Bill Thomas and what has been your relationship with regard to um, sort of assisting uh, on shows like this over the years? Bill and I, let's see. I had um, years ago. I don't remember the exact year. Maybe Bill does. He's really good at keeping records. <laughs> I've got to give it to him. We depend on Bill. He's great. Yeah. Um, but years ago, I. We would go through ebb and flow where we would be trying. I mean, I could never just ever give up. After my, my dad always was trying to find out what what happened to Keith. He never gave up until he died, you know. And so he was always in contact with somebody. And so after my, my dad died, I, I don't know, it just it just weighed so heavy on me. I felt such, I don't know, I guess I felt guilt. It's like I can't just go on and live my life like nothing happened. I know I can't fix the whole world, but I can keep it out there, you know, to find out what happened to my brother. It just bothered me so much. So just I didn't know what else to do. So one day I made a Facebook page and uh, of what happened to Keith Collins and for Haley. And it just so happened not long after I made that page, Bill must have been thinking the same thing. Because he started, he told me that he started looking around through Google and other places, and that uh, he came across a Facebook page. And so, lo and behold, I get this email or this Facebook email from Bill Thomas a couple of weeks after I started the page, and we kind of connected from there. Well, it must be yeah, karma. I, that's what well, I think, right, Bill? If and if I can add something, the Call family, to my knowledge, the Call and Haley family, are among the first people to use social media. This goes back to 2009 now, which seems like, you know, a long time ago. Um, They're among the first people that I'm aware of to use social media, specifically a Facebook page, to help build awareness of of, uh, a missing person and murder case. Wow. Over the years, I ask the Call and Haley families and others a lot of credit. They did a tremendous amount with local events and fundraisers, and they formed a nonprofit organization, and they did interviews, they did television, radio, um, newspapers. They created an organization, which I'll let let, uh, Joyce talk about a little bit more, to to just – Bring families of uh, uh, who have victims of violent crime together in Virginia. They worked on legislation uh, in Virginia. They did a tremendous amount to keep the story alive. That that's incredible, and you know to, that early on. I mean, I'm not sure when Facebook actually started. Uh, maybe Delilah would know that. But if you're one of the precursors to to make these pages, that that's wonderful, and and it just kind of snowballed from there. Before we talk about that, let's get Jennifer and William in on the conversation here, and welcome. And I we we would love to hear. We would love to hear about Anna Maria. 
uh, kind of the same type of information. Um, can you please share with us, either one of you? First of all, it's just me. Uh, Jennifer's not here, uh, and I wish she was because she's a great spokesperson. Um, she's the person that deals with the public more so than me, but um, it was my sister that was killed, and um, Anna was uh, – I mean, I, I, she was a great person. Her and I were totally opposite. She was more outgoing. Me, I'm I'm the quiet one. Uh, I, she was just I don't I don't I don't really know what to say, but um, you know I just can't can't really explain to you know really how, what kind of person she was. She was just outgoing. She was happy, uh, just a loving person. What what were her um, aspirations in life, or what kind of activities was she involved in before this event occurred, uh, William? Well. I, I guess uh, you know she liked hanging out with her friends. She, I mean, cause she was 18 at the time, so okay. you know she 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 was going to school, and then I believe she started dating Clinton Lauer, and um, his sister was living in um, in Virginia Beach. Her husband was in the Navy, and so they went to visit her one day, and I think somehow or another she was talking to Clinton about you know some issues they were having so he made the decision he wanted to move up there with them and help them and she decided to also do the same and be with him and then sometime uh, they have a they have a brother danny and at some point he came up there and decided he too would move up there and help and that's how all all this situation got started so they all moved up to Virginia Beach uh, to help out with a with a family problem or whatnot. And like you say, were were they uh, were they going to school? No, they were not going to school. They uh, I believe they were working at a fast food restaurant. It was it was uh, I believe they were working at Hardee's, Wendy's, mm-hmm. something like that. And yeah. um, da- uh, Danny, who was cl- which was all right, Anna was dating Clint. His brother Danny decided to move up there, and he was going to come back home and get his clothes and some belongings and then come back. Anna was not working that day, so she decided to ride back with him. He would drop her off at the house, visit with us, and then when he would, he'd go home, pack his stuff, he'd come back, pick her up, and then they would proceed back to the beach, which he, that, all that happened, but they never made it back. So what were the events of of the day when you know when when this this occurred what 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 did happen that actual day the circumstances uh, there have some things that uh come about in our investigation yeah. um and know how much detail I can actually give you. Well, you just give us what you can tell us. We don't want you to divulge any, um, you know, high-level secrets. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if if you can kind of give us an overview of, of what happened or maybe the areas that they might be looking into. Well, all right. They were, um, you know, like I said, he came home. He dropped her off at the house to spend time with us while he went home and packed. Then when he got done, he came back to pick her up, and in between all this, you know, her and I had a conversation. She asked me what I thought of Clint, you know, and, you know, I, he was a nice fella, you know. I liked him, and then she mm-hmm. told me that they they were um, thinking about getting married and what I thought about that. And so uh, I told her, you know, you know, it's your life. If, if you love him and you want to be with him, hey, that's your decision, you know. Um, all, all that matters is, is you to be happy. So um, anyhow – uh, 
She asked me if I wanted to go back to the beach with them. I was excited. Yeah, I'll go back. And then she thought about it. I said, wait a minute, you have school tomorrow. I said, so what? It's the first day of school. We don't do nothing anyway. She said, no, no, never mind. So anyhow, you know, get my hopes up. And then, you know, shot me down. And uh, and she said, mom's not going to let you do it anyway. So he, Clinton came, I mean, not Clinton. Danny came by to pick her up. And they left. And Anna was the kind of person she contacted mom all the time. She she called her before she left. She called her uh when she got home, she would call her. She's just always in, in communication with mom. Um, they were headed back to Virginia Beach on 64 eastbound, and she never called mom. Mom worried. So she ended up calling Clinton. Clinton said, I haven't heard from them. They haven't made it home yet. And I guess that's pretty much it. And do you did they did they find a car in your case? They did find the car, but the car they were headed eastbound. The car was found on the in the westbound rest area on Route Six on Sixty Four in New Kent County. The next day. So the opposite direction. Right, the opposite direction. And months yeah. months later, they did find the bodies, and the bodies were uh, about a mile away from the rest area. In the woods, so obviously somebody they, they I assume they stopped at the rest area altercation something happened we don't know what happened somebody uh they might have taken them out in the woods, killed them there, got back in their car and drove, headed back and and parked the car on the eastbound so the opposite direction in the rest area Wow. Was was evidence left there that they're they're um, currently looking at? You know, with today's technology, perhaps. Unfortunately, there was evidence left behind, but it was um, mishandling of the evidence with the the police and law enforcement. Um, they have very little to work with. Oh, so contamination, perhaps, of of what was yes. there. That's that's exactly it. Oh boy, um, but you sort of led us to believe that they are working on some leads or whatnot that you, you may have uh, some other avenues that they're pursuing uh, today. Yes, ma'am. Um, we there's some there's some information that uh, I don't know how we didn't know this through the years, but recently we discovered that there was a couple apparently uh, that had rode back with them. And I say a couple; it wasn't a couple. It was I believe it was two guys. That were I don't know what they were doing at the um they were in the area but they were friends with Danny and apparently well apparently not friends I don't I don't know but anyhow they, they were there. yeah and so they uh apparently they rode back home with them again we did not know this um when Danny went home to pack his uh, he was uh, his dad was a painter and Danny worked with his dad. And his dad gave him, I guess, his last paycheck, with his, which was a considerable amount of money. That money was missing. So we're thinking this was a, a robbery. This one was a robbery, and then they decided to, to, to execute them? Yes. Yeah. Were they, um, were they like, shot in the head or multiple wounds or stabbed? Or can you, right. can you share that? 
in Danny's case, nobody knows what happened. There was no no markings on his body. Uh, when they found the bodies, there was nothing left but skeletal remains. And so when they tried to investigate Danny, there's no markings, no nothing. When they investigated Anna, she had she had markings on her skeletal remains from knife wounds where she was stabbed multiple times. Mhm. Wow. Uh, it's it's just incredible. Uh, you you had mentioned that your 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 sister and your mom were very close. I'm I'm sure that they, they must you know it it, it it must weigh on them very very much. Are are your are your parents living? Yes, ma'am. Both my parents are still alive. Um, what what has been their level of involvement, and how are they how are they doing today? Uh, right now they're doing fine. Mom's thing is, um, you know, she, it, it, this devastated her. It, it just tore her apart because um, she may not want to admit it, but you know, all of us know, and we, and we, you know, Anna was more or less her favorite, and that's okay with us. You know, you know. I think she was everybody's favorite, um, mainly I think because she talked to mom, and mom's the kind of person, you know, you show her any kind of affection, and, you know, I don't care if you're a stranger, any kind of affection, you know, she she just loves you to death. And that's the kind of person Anna was. She was very affectionate, very um, – she talked to mom about everything. And um, for a long time, mom wouldn't leave the house. Um, she was afraid Anna – you know, even before they found the body, even after they did find the bodies. All they found was skeletal remains, so there was no um, – there's nothing there for your mind to say, okay, this is her, and we know it. And mom, and, and I think a little bit of her today, even though she knows she's gone, she thinks she's really not dead. She might be out there somewhere. And so for a long time, mom wouldn't leave the house, afraid she might call and need her for something. Well, and when, when was it that they just in, – in terms of the time frame, um, William or Bill – when when was it that their their bodies were discovered? Was it like several years later? My my sisters. Uh yeah. They, they were found in uh, it was during hunting season, um, October. Of the was the it was the following year. Oh, so yeah. it was the following year. Okay. They went in um September. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My brain. Yeah, they went missing in Labor Day, and then they were found in October. I'm sorry. I told That's you Jennifer was the best one to talk to. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, really, we understand. Um, wow. Um, Bill Bill Thomas, in terms of um, your association with 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 William and Jennifer, can can you talk about um, that and um, your knowledge of, of some of the nuances of their case? Sure. I got more heavily involved in in 2009. Um, a story broke in Virginia media um, that the FBI had lost control of 78 highly graphic crime scene photos. These were this would have been a slideshow for law enforcement eyes only that would have given sort of an overview of the four Colonial Parkway cases. And, you know, listening to, to William just now, you can see how you can't just, you know, think that the Colonial Parkway murders are necessarily related. You know, the way William describes it, and I think he's spot on, it's entirely possible that one or even all of these cases could be 
unrelated to the others. So back to 2009, a story broke that the FBI had lost control of these 78 highly graphic crime scene photos. These would have been taken by FBI and Virginia State Police photographers, and they were out in the public being used at a a school called the Mid-Atlantic Trading Academy, Training Academy in Hampton, Virginia, for the purposes of training private detectives and security guards. But this was completely without authorization. And uh, a local retired deputy sheriff, a man named Fred Atwell, had gone to local media to complain about these crime scene photos being used. And as a result of, of Fred you know, acting as a whistleblower, that there had been stories running in the local media in Virginia about this, and people were pretty outraged. Just by chance, living in California, I had discovered this about two weeks after the stories had run um, on WTKR, which is the CBS affiliate in Norfolk. Um, so that's when I reached out initially to the Call family, and then after connecting with Joyce, Joyce and, and her brother Chris began introducing me to other families. And at this point, my family, the Thomas family, had had no contact with any of the Colonial Parkway murders families. But when we began you know, reaching out, many of them knew each other, and I began to realize that we had a lot in common and that we could work together to try to build a pressure campaign to get the FBI and the Virginia State Police to begin to put some resources into what were very cold cases by that point. Right. Well, that must have been a, a, a I'm just guessing, Joyce and William, that must have been a tremendous comfort to you to um, meet Bill and to know that you were going to form this collaboration and maybe there is um, progress and numbers and, and to know that there are other people in the same boat and maybe, you know, in, in, with the power of numbers you could get something accomplished. Was it a great sense of comfort for you all come together? It was for me, yes. I remember when I, the first time I talked to Bill on the phone and, um, and uh, we had a really good conversation and I felt like, you know, there was a lot more power in numbers and, and that he was on board, and I felt I felt a little sense of relief. It's like, okay, maybe this thing is working. Uh huh. So, what what is it that you do these days, all of you, in terms of do you like talk a couple times a month, or do you share uh, news articles or or uh, opportunities to get in front of the media locally? How does this how does this group together? work today. You want to take well, that, Bill? Wants to take that. There's a lot of email and text, and we do, we do uh, check in pretty frequently. Um, and, you know, as William said, it, you know, things will heat up in one area and maybe cool off a little bit in, in another um, one of the things we've been working on recently is uh, uh, we have a book coming out about the Colonial Parkway murders. It should be out in May uh, by uh, 
a New York Times best-selling author named Blaine Pardo, P-A-R-D-O-E, and his daughter is his co-writer, grown woman, uh, and a writer in her own right. Her name is uh, Victoria Hester. So over the past, gosh, it's probably been a year now, Blaine and Victoria have been interviewing family members, investigators, retired investigators. As you might imagine, when you have a case like that stretched on for so long, um, you know, the Virginia State Police and FBI investigators, we've gone through one lead investigator after another. They handle the case for a few years. They move on or or are reassigned, or in some cases are retired, Blaine and Victoria have been reaching out to all of these people. And so we've been coordinating a lot of their activities to help them get the best sense of each of our family members as individuals, because we think that's very important, as well as understanding a very complicated case involving four double homicides. Well, yeah, I can imagine it. it isn't it true? Um, are you also working on a on a separate book? Uh, I am working on a on a separate book myself. That would probably come out, you know, later next later this year or early next year. Well, I, I just it sounds like there would be so much material that and anything anyone up close and personal to the situation can lend would would be helpful and particularly to, to other other families. Who have gone through homicide, and uh, so you know that is that that's wonderful. So um, we'll be looking for that, and I hope that you will um, you know advertise that fact so that we all can can uh, keep updated on that. But it, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on um, again um, from the first show is that the sense that we sometimes in these cases. And with what's going on in the world today, and there's such a big influx of cases and cold cases and complicated cases, and then you have the advent of human trafficking and terrorism and all of this that the FBI is dealing with, I think we touched on the fact, and I wanted to maybe touch on it a little bit again, is that we can't always depend on the fact that the FBI are going to make these cold cases a number one priority. So in that case, what do we do? Do we become our own lone rangers, Bill Thomas, or or anyone that wants to take that question? Well, I'll start and let the others jump in. It's Bill again. Okay. I think think you you actually end up becoming your own family's advocate. And, um, you know, I think we've all learned that you have to, Keep, you know, stay in touch with the investigators. You make it clear that you're not going away. We understand that terrible things happen every single day and that there will be new cases and new priorities. But what happens with cold cases, which is why they go cold, is that, you know, new events take place, which we understand, and we're sympathetic to anyone who's gone through something like we have. But you can't, investigators can't forget a case just because it's stretched on for a number of years. One of the things I find fascinating is the Virginia State Police asked, investigators asked for an advanced copy of Blaine and Victoria's book. Um, This is months before it comes out and the book isn't even complete. 
finished yet, and they, yet, yet they wanted to know what was in the book. Because, wow. you know, obviously, this is for, in particular the, the investigators um, uh, in William's uh, family's case, they're interested in what's, being, what's going to be written about them, what's going to be published about them, because there's criticism of, of, of the Virginia State Police and the FBI, which I'll be up front. They deserve criticism. Mm-hmm. But is it also to be able to learn, you know, salient information, not a matter of how are we being painted? Shouldn't it be used as, you know, um, information that could be credible, that could further the investigation? Oh, sure. That's what we want. Right? In other words, I, I, we're not – you know, we're fans of law enforcement. We want law enforcement to succeed. We want someone to tell us what happened to our loved ones. Right. And we we want to help the investigation move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, well, I absolutely yeah. agree with Bill. Yeah. Okay. With With regard to uh, law enforcement comments and 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 the book coming out, do do you do both of you families endorse this and look forward to that? Our family does. The Call family, yes, we worked with him and uh, we do endorse it. And uh, and uh, you know, the law enforcement, we definitely want law enforcement to succeed. We want our cases, all of our cases, to be solved. But we have. Just like Bill was saying, we have a lot of frustrations through the years, um, on and off, feeling like we have just have been left behind. Um, and that's another reason that we had, uh, my, my dad had formed, uh, my dad and my aunt had formed the group many, many years ago, Family and Friends Against Crime Today. And they would try to keep it out there. And then years later, I didn't know what to do, and that's where the Facebook page came from it's just like you're he was absolutely right we do need to be our own best advocate for our family because after a while you know they move on to something else and we are left here still wondering what happened to our loved ones so right is is that social media still ongoing your facebook page and your organization uh joyce the facebook's page is still going the uh family would you like friends to give that info well, I guess uh, it's What Happened to Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. That's the name of the Facebook page. That is What Happened to, to Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. What Happened to Richard Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. Richard Keith Call. Okay, so people wanted to, uh, and you, you updated that information. That's good. Is there is there um, in, information about <laughs> Anna Maria and um and the and the other person online on on that yeah. briefly or, on that what happened to Keith Call and Cassandra Haley? It, there's a lot about all of them on there. Um, okay. It's not just for Keith, but but go so ahead. You have information on the other families as well, right? Yes. Well, great. Um, I was wondering, um, Bill. We Bill Thomas. We had. Touched on the fact that um, in in becoming our own advocates and not feeling left behind, we have to try to get our share of resources. And what I did not 
get to ask you the last time. I'm curious as to how you would define each of you. What would be your share of resources, your share of the pie, given that they have X number? You know, I think we we had talked about there was something like 215,000 unsolved homicides um, in the last stats that that I looked up. Um, how do we get our own share? What? How do we go about it? Who, who would well, like to I, take that? Anyone have an idea? Uh, it's Bill O. Okay. I'll jump in. You know, it's, okay. it, it's one of those things where we're not expecting 100% of anyone's time. We okay. understand that, that, you know, they've got a caseload, and it's often very heavy. Quite frankly, in the United States, we're not putting enough money into uh, into these resources. And what's kind of shocking when you're forced to go through it like we've been is that, you know, now that I, I develop more of an understanding, if your loved one's missing persons or murder case is not solved within the first 48, 72 hours, the chances of it being solved go off a cliff. You're really going to have a very hard time figuring out what happened, as tragic as that is. And I think as much as I enjoy police procedurals and FBI procedurals uh, on TV, they're very misleading. They make it sound like, you know, every murder gets solved, every case gets wrapped up, and we're here to tell you that is not the case. So you, you really have to fight, and I'll use that word, to make certain that at least a certain amount of time is being devoted to your loved one's case and that they're still, you know, conducting advanced DNA testing, for example. Remember now, the, our cases stretch back to a time before DNA testing was introduced. So you've got to push to make certain that they're doing everything they can to use all the latest tools and techniques um, that they are continuing to review the case that, for example, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago, when new investigators come in, that, they're, that they are actually, they have to jump into the file and read the hundreds or in some cases thousands of documents to develop an understanding. And so, for example, um, uh, you know, a new investigator needs to take the time to meet with the families because, you know, people like William and Jennifer and and William's family, um, his sister Rosanna and his parents, are very knowledgeable about this case and can add a lot of insight. I but think that's instance, very underrated, yes, because they always want to keep the families at arm's length. Devila, you've been kind of taking it all in over there. Do you have any particular comments that you'd like to lend to the discussion? Because you work with so many families yourself. Uh, well, yeah, I I think, you know, they've you've described very well the level of frustration that you feel over the years. And I'm sure every time a new theory or a new media uh, story comes out or possible suspects, it, it you know, it starts that roller coaster all over again and again and again. And 30 years is a doggone long time for that to go on. Um, 
where do each of you feel like the cases are today? Are, are we any closer? Are the, is there something in the pipeline that looks promising? What What is the status other than unsolved, which we, we obviously know in cold case? For me, uh, I feel a little more encouraged than I have at other times in the last 29 years for us, almost 20, 29 years. Um, we still have to keep pushing and pushing, but there there does seem to be some activity going on, and and I guess an encouraged is better than I have felt at other times. So, But you have to keep monitoring and, you know, reminding and that kind of thing, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. William, what what do you have to say about her question? Um, I do believe uh, uh, the state police did give us a statement, say they were very optimistic about solving our case. So. And that was recently. Yes, ma'am. It was in September. Wow. In September. Okay, so they're actively working on some leads, and they're optimistic. I I just can't, you know. That resolution, whether or not, you know, you can find a person and obviously we, we assume that, that they, have, they are deceased, um, but having that sense of resolution and maybe peace of mind has got to be, you know, just incredible after all of these years. And I'm sure, you know, your, your mom probably will be able to put, put it to rest or, or compartmentalize in a different way than than she has up until this point. So um, do you all, I'm just wondering, and anyone can take this, um, do you have as a group when you talk, I mean, is there a laundry list of things that you're kind of ticking off and saying, okay, I want to, is there movement here or can you address this area? Do can um, I mean, do you have an ongoing list of things that you've, checked off over the years or wanted them to look at and you, you do see, you know, progress in more than one area. Um, is is that kind of how you're doing things, Bill? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things we're looking for is um, uh, advanced, advanced forensic testing. Even in the last couple of years, there's been a significant amount of advanced uh, advancement in in forensic testing, particularly around the area of DNA, and uh, you know DNA was was still in a lab somewhere uh, in in the late 1980s, and it, you know now what we have to push for is to make certain that we're not forgotten. In other words, all the latest advancements are used in new cases. We have to remind law enforcement. Sometimes in, in, we try to be polite, but sometimes we have to push to say we you know, want to make certain that you're going back and taking a look at, at our evidence in our, in our cases and, and can you use these tools. And we're actually at a very frustrating uh, kind of crossroads now, pushing both the Virginia State and the FBI lab to move forward uh, to give us test results. Now, we recognize you're not going to get a DNA hit every single time, but we want to make certain that they're using all of the latest techniques to go back and review this cold case evidence 
Um, we recognize it's a less than perfect situation, and as William said, sometimes uh, evidence wasn't properly handled back then. Crime scene investigation is very different now in in 2017 than it was 25 to 30 years ago, but um, we want to make certain that they're going back and reviewing all of this old evidence and all of the interviews and review suspects and keep moving the case forward. Right. But it it comes down to to man slash woman power to be able to devote to, to these cases as well as current cases, I, I would imagine. And just just to get, we've got about four minutes left to our show. Do we, in, a, in, in reality, if they are submitting a DNA sample, and like you say, they, they may submit it more than once, what is the realistic time frame if they submit it today? When might they hear and, and divulge to you down the road? It, it could be months because in many examples, you're talking about old samples of, of evidence from, you know, 27, 27 to 30 years ago. So it can take multiple passes, some, each pass taking two to three weeks um, for each piece of evidence. They may have to do test after test. So it can take months, and, and we're actually living through that. Uh, as we speak, uh, waiting for the latest test results. Okay, so it, with the with with the samples you're dealing with now that they have submitted, you have gone through the majority of that time period where it's months, and you're waiting with anticipation. Which, to me, you know, it, it must be so hard um, emotionally because you don't want to get your hopes up too high, but yet you still have hope. And I, I think that's a good a good um, area to kind of focus on toward the end of the show. What would be, um, each of you, what would be your message to the audience? As you know, we have a big contingent of of people who uh, are have unsolved homicides that listen to this show and other shows and missing persons. What would you say at this juncture with your cases to our audience? And any one of you. Could you give us your personal message? I, just for, for my family, the call family, is that we'll never give up, you know, as long as, as we're alive, that we won't give up. And we're going to keep keep finding trying to find out who did this. I mean, my brother deserves closure in this case, and we loved him, and we want to find out what happened. Absolutely. And I, I agree. Uh, William, do you have some, some parting comments with regard to that, representing you and your family? I have to agree 100% with Joyce, what she just said. And plus, uh, and you know, there's also strength in numbers. You know, we all stick together, and uh, you learn from other people. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm thinking of the Long Island, Long Island families, and I have been in touch with one of them, but I'm not really sure how active they are right now. But it is so important to stick together and to try to keep things in the media. Well, I, I only hope that you will feel free, any one of you, to um, keep in contact with us. And if if this radio show or if writing a blog or what or whatever, if we can assist in other ways to help you keep this in the forefront, 
I will I will do that. So I hope that you will keep in touch with us after the show. And uh, I want to thank all of you for for being on here. And we support you, you, this mission and your families. And so hope for um, a positive resolution in here because I I know what it's like. Uh, Delilah, do you have any parting comments before we sign off? Well, I just would like to thank everyone for giving up their time to be on on the program today. And hopefully, you know, we've just seen a a major breakthrough from a podcast in the case of Tara Grinstead, who was missing for 10, 11 years. Um, She's not been found, but there was uh, an arrest made in the case. And everyone is saying it's due to the podcast that um, a couple of guys put together. And so hopefully, you know, along the road, this this program can also have an impact that will benefit a case. And hopefully it's it's yours. That, that, would, be wonderful. that would be wonderful. So please do circulate this podcast. So, so Joyce William, Bill Thomas. Please keep in touch with me. Don't be a stranger. We're there on social media, but pick up the phone. So we're going to sign off today uh, for today's show, and please do keep in touch um, with us. And thank you, all three of my guests, and and we wish you the best of luck in the future. So, everyone, um, thank you so much, and have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.